Yeah, you know, I just was praying that, you know, I don't know why, why you think that we study the Bible. Uh, um, you say, well, that's what Christians do. Yeah, I think it goes a lot deeper than that. I believe that God's Word is powerful and it's effective, that it's able to get to the deepest core of you and me. And I believe that it doesn't need any of my help, that it can do it all by itself. Amen? God's Word is like a tiger. You just have to let it out of the cage. It'll do its work. Um, I just want to acknowledge this morning uh, Richard and Carolyn Cassetter with us. And, you know, I know Richard probably went to the bathroom, didn't he? I just embarrassed him. Didn't mean to do that. But uh, they're just such a special couple, and we've been appreciated their ministry. And they've moved recently as well to the D.C. area to continue their ministry there. And, and then one thing about Todd and Jen... You know, as I've been thinking about you guys and mourning, actually, uh, you know, uh, you, you're a great example of uh, the way it's supposed to work. You know, Todd and Jen have only been part of our church for, what, six years? Feels like longer than that. Seven? I know it's that neighborhood, six or seven. But you know what? You're leaving us a better people. And for that, we thank you. And that's the way it's supposed to work, you know? They're not takers, they're givers. And I know that where they go, God will continue to use them. And uh, so thank you. I'm going to miss beating up on Zachy. I I love little Zach. He's an awful lot of fun to wrestle with. <laughs> so maybe the Lord will give us a new Zach. Huh? We can, somebody I can beat up on on Sunday mornings. <clears throat> this morning, uh, if you would please uh, give me the luxury of taking off the training wheels. I, I've been using a manuscript the last several, last month and a half. and But this morning, I, I've been wrestling this message this morning is a very difficult message to bring to you this and i honestly am concerned and i pray that you have the maturity to be able to handle it to be truthful you know it's one thing to talk about rejection at the hands of other people we've been in this series called breaking rejection and if you're new with us today you can catch up on this stuff it's on our website and the blog you can see what where we've been at the last month or so but it's one thing to talk about rejection at the hands of other people because we sort of expect that we've come to anticipate it right we're all jerks let's face it and we you know my jerky stuff runs into your jerky stuff all the time and it happens right and it's painful Obviously, we don't like being rejected and experiencing that, but when it comes to other people, we've almost come to expect it and anticipate it. What's more difficult is when we experience rejection at the hands of God. That's where it's really tough. Because we've portrayed God in our culture as being like this doting father almost absent-minded at times, who overlooks the flaws of his children and just thinks we're wonderful. 
that's not an accurate picture of God. He's a holy God. The truth is, God doesn't love everything you do. Shocker, isn't it? God doesn't love everything you do. He loves you dearly, loves you intensely, but he doesn't love everything you do. And there are times when God does have to bring discipline to our lives. We experience that as rejection, don't we? It, it hurts when that happens. And then there are other parts of our lives that are good things, that even those at times God feels the need to remove and we experience that as rejection do we not the loss of a loved one you say god why would that tragic why would you have me experience that tragic loss the the sudden death of a loved one the sudden loss of a job the the bad news from the doctor you your day starts off great and one phone call the whole thing falls apart you god what are you doing what is that you know boy we experience that as rejection at the hands of God and it hurts and it stings and and I get it I think I can understand some of the rejection I, I get why you know I, okay God if I've done something wrong and bad you're supposed to deal with that okay I can understand that I might not like it but I can understand it the more difficult piece is when I am being faithful when I'm really doing my best to honor God and obey God. And then the bottom drops out. That's when I think, what is up with that God? It's like, it's like God plays that game sometimes with us. Like I'm back in seventh grade, and we're on the high dive, and God goes, hey, let's jump. You jump first, I'll jump with you. And then I jump, and he doesn't jump. Thanks, God. I step forward, he steps back. And I'm swinging in the breeze, wondering, I, I thought that you honored faith here, and I'm not really getting that right now. Hebrews chapter 11 is a great chapter. A lot of people love Hebrews chapter 11 because we call it the hall of faith, you know, and, and it lists these great men and women of faith in, in the old days in the Bible. And you've got, you've got Noah and the ark, and you've got Abraham and Sarah, and you have uh, Moses and Joshua and, and Samuel and David and the prophets and all these great men and women of faith, and, and it's the hall of faith. We think, man, the Bible recorded forever these great heroes, only do you know how Hebrews chapter 11 ends? There's a verse at the end of that chapter that really disturbs me. I'm just being honest with you here. It disturbs me because it says this. All of these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. It's, I read that, and I think it's kind of like, like if you were at work and your boss said, hey, you are going to get employee of the year. And we're going to have this thing. We're going to all get together. You have been a great employee. And you're thinking, I have been a great employee. And then the day comes, and they're all in the boardroom, and the boss unveils the bulletin board. There's your name, employee of the year. Spectacular. And you're like, this is great. 
And then the boss goes, okay, everybody, let's go back to work. And you're thinking, do I at least get a close parking spot? I mean, where's the bonus? Maybe a voucher for the cafeteria? You're just saying, all, you, you go through all this, you, and all I get is my name on the wall? Is there anything else to this? That's kind of what God did to these people. Listen to the verse again. All of these were commended for their faith. They got their name on the wall. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Not even a good parking spot. That's it. The name on the wall. I'm just getting real with you. I find that really unfair and disturbing. And I say to God, God, wait a second. Okay, I get the heaven thing. I'm looking forward to heaven. That's going to be great. But, like, I think while I'm walking the planet, isn't there some kind of kickback from a life of faith? Like, like I'm not asking for a Ferrari, God. I'm really not. I'm really not asking for the mansion. And the, I'm just wondering, like, maybe when you show up once in a while. Like I said, I would take the closed parking space. You know, I don't need the million-dollar bonus. And I know what you do. Some of you guys are open to Hebrews chapter 11, and that's great. Love that. And you're going to the next verse. You're like, oh, yeah, but yeah, you're missing it. The next verse says, God prepared something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. That's what it says. Right. But isn't there a kickback to faith at some point? I mean, like I said, something uh, beyond just my name on a wall. There are days when you feel extremely alone in your attempts to obey and honor God and walk a life of faith. And it hurts. It hurts down in the deepest core of your soul it's there's literally a pain it hurts you know i'm finding that the further i walk with god the more questions i have and the more intense those questions are getting but the less they shake my faith does that seem odd I know a lot of people that don't begin this faith journey because they have questions. Well, when I get my questions answered, then I'll place my faith in Jesus. And I want to say to you, good luck. Because until you're willing to embrace the mystery, you're not ready to follow Jesus. Because there's an awful lot to this that we don't get. And I can tell you, the more I follow, the more I don't get. And this is one of them. I'm thankful for Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah chapter 20. I want to look at something that he said this morning. And I sure hope that there's some kind of closure to this for all of us. I don't want to leave you, you know, down in the dumps. <clears throat> Jeremiah is, uh, he's one of my favorite prophets. And the reason why I love reading the book of Jeremiah is because in Jeremiah, for, first of all, he was a phenomenal preacher. 
the, the guy could use word pictures like nobody's business. You know, he, he's the one who came up with a, uh, telling the Israelites, your gods are like scarecrows in a melon patch. Love that word picture. He's the one that says, you know, your faith is like a, a cistern, a, a water well that you dug, but it's got holes in it. It's leaking all over the place. I mean, Jeremiah was just loaded with great word pictures, a fantastic communicator. So that's one thing. But then the other part of Jeremiah that you really, that I really appreciate is that as you're reading the book of Jeremiah, we get glimpses into his private life because there are moments where Jeremiah records his prayer, his prayers to God, his interactions with God. And so, you, so Jeremiah, more than any of the other prophets, you get this really unique blend of here's his public ministry, the guy's preaching out there on the streets, and then you get the next scene where Jeremiah's back home in his closet and he's crying out to God and you, you get to get a glimpse into his heart. And Jeremiah chapter 20 is one of those prayers. It's one of those private, very private moments between Jeremiah and God. And Jeremiah is not making a, a theological statement here. I want you to know that before we read it. Jeremiah is not telling you this is how God is. Jeremiah is just pouring it out. He's just getting raw before God and honest. And here's what he says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. I warn you, these are difficult to read. And they will probably make many of you very uncomfortable. Jeremiah says, You deceived me, Lord. I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Right? You think, I would expect better. The word of the Lord, if I'm giving it, I should get more than that, right? Nope. The word of the Lord brought me insult and reproach. Jeremiah is saying, where's the kickback? But if I say, I'm not even going to mention his word or speak any more in his name, then his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. That's what I love about it. See that word picture? That guy could use word pictures like nobody's business. Fire shut up in my bones. I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip with friends like that, right? Who needs enemies? Saying, oh, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them. For to you, for to you, I've committed my cause. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. Cursed be the day I was born. 
May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning and a battle cry at noon. I mean, he's not just cursing the day he was born. He's cursing the guy who brought the news that he was born. Whew, that's rough. For he didn't kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? Why, 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 why? Rough day for Jeremiah, what do you think? You see how he starts? God, you deceived me. You lied to me. You screwed me over. You did that, God. You left me hanging. God, what the heck? I'm trying to obey you over here. I, I, I'm giving your word. I'm your guy. I'm your prophet, God. I'm Jeremiah for crying out loud. You deceived me. I give your word, and then everybody insults and mocks me. And then I say, ah, okay, I'm not going to give you word. And then it burns in my heart like a fire. So I'm literally darned if I do and darned if I don't. I'm in a rock and a hard place. God, you deceived me. Whew. I'm going to ask you a really uncomfortable question. Have you ever felt that God screwed you over? Have you ever been there? In all honesty, you ever felt that God left you hanging and he walked away? Because I have. I know this feeling. I'm living it right now. I don't get for the life of me why you can obey God and follow what you think is so clear and then have it explode in your face so badly. I don't get it. This is my own prayer. God, really? I thought you honored faith. I thought you did. God, I, I don't want to be a pastor of a mega church. I'm not asking for that. I'm not asking to be a millionaire. I'm not asking for a great book deal. I, I just want to know, like, does this thing work? Are you even here? Like, is this the way you always do it? In my humble experience, for every person who has a great story of faith, a great success story, and we all love their books and we watch their TV shows, there are probably 10 others that have a devastating story, tragic, explosion in their face. Who? And you say, oh, but Doug, no, 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 quick, look. Look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. Oh, that's comforting. But curse be the day I was born. 
you see the pattern that Jeremiah follows? There's sort of a little pattern here. You know, first there's his feeling. Jeremiah pours out his feeling. His feeling is, God, you lied to me. Okay, that's his feeling. And like, we maybe you have felt that before. I know that I have. I felt that way. God, you have lied to me. I, man, he's hurting. He's a hurting unit right now. And then he goes to the fact. The fact is, but the Lord's with me like a mighty warrior. Okay, so I'm going to hang on to the fact. It's a good fact. The Lord's back. The Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. And then the fact leads to worship. Sing to the Lord a new song. Okay, God, I'm just going to sing to you. Great, great worship music. Singing, singing. And then that goes back to wallowing again. Curse the day I was born. Curse the guy that even told my dad he had a son. Curse it all. Right? So there's the feeling, and then there's the fact, and then there's worship, and there's wallowing. I wonder how we would respond as a church if Jeremiah were part of our church body. I think that the first thing we would try to do is diagnose him as bipolar and give him meds. You would. You would. You really would. And then the second thing, if you don't do that, would be this you would do your very best to try to make him feel better. Because let's be honest, his pain makes you feel really awkward. And you don't know what to say and you don't know what to do with a person that's in this kind of pain. And the first thing you want to do is really not relieve their pain, you want to relieve your own awkwardness. And so you throw pious platitudes at them. And you tell them the latest bumper sticker you saw. Just trust God. Frog, fully rely on God. Push, pray until something happens. Throw a good Bible verse. And then you walk away and you wonder why they don't feel any better. Listen, what if Jeremiah is exactly where God wants him to be? You know, you never know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. How do you tell the strength of a tea bag? You put it in hot water. You really don't know how high you can fly until you get kicked out of the nest. A couple of weeks ago, I was out to mow the lawn, and I'm, you know, putting gas in the lawnmower, and and these cardinals are going crazy in the trees above me, all around me. And I'm like, what is going on? And I look over, and on our driveway was a baby bird. And I, I realized, oh, we got a mommy and daddy up there, and they're going nuts over their baby, and I think I'm going to run it over with a lawnmower or something. I don't know. So I, I did a good deed, my Boy Scout thing. I kicked in, and I went and got a couple of sticks, and I got them up on a stick, and and I, the nest was in our lilac bush, so I could reach it, put it back in the nest. Solly had a brother and a sister up there, two siblings, there's three of them. And then I go back to work on my lawnmower, and a few minutes later, they're squawking again. I look over, there's one of his siblings on the ground. I'm like, you kidding me? Over By this time, I called Karis to come take a look at it, because it was kind of fun, sort of cute, I admit. And so she's over there. So then Karis and I are both out there with sticks trying to get the birds, put them back in the nest, and they keep, you know, you turn around, 
back on the ground. And then it dawned on us, I think this is a flying lesson. <laughs> and we're interrupting the flying lesson. And so, so we just, you know, let them go, you know, and let the parents do their thing, stop interrupting it. And I thought, maybe that's, you know, would, if I'm putting myself in that baby bird's perspective, would they experience that as rejection? Like, this nest feels great, you know? I really like it up here, and my brothers and sisters, we're all nice and together here. And then there's the, you know, flicking right out of the nest. I'm thinking that probably feels like rejection, does it not? And I thought, is it possible that God's doing that with us? Is it possible that even here in Jeremiah, what we're witnessing is a bird that just got booted out? Is a flying lesson? You're witnessing a flying lesson. You'll never know how high you can fly until you get kicked out of the nest. And, and our temptation is to take somebody like this and then try to make them feel better instantly make them feel better, which honestly is really to make us feel better because their pain is awkward for us to handle, so we're really doing it for ourselves. So we try to make them feel better, but it's a flying lesson. Hmm. You know, <clears throat> God gives his toughest assignments to his toughest servants. And I happen to think that Jeremiah was right where God wanted him to be. Sometimes we get saved. And I see the quote, the air quote. Sometimes we get saved by lesser gods. Gods of our own choosing, gods of our own making. And then the God of the universe has to come in and, and remove those in order for us to see that actually he's the answer, not that. And a lot of the things that he removes are things that we like. If I put myself in Jeremiah's shoes, you know, it's, I mean, what is wrong with Jeremiah having a fruitful, good ministry? What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that at all, is there? What's, what's wrong with Jeremiah preaching a good sermon and having lots of people, you know, come to the altar? There's nothing wrong with that desire, is there? No, no. A lot of the things that God wants to change in your life and mine aren't necessarily terrible, awful things. But his goal all the while is to loosen your grip on those things so that you can grip him. that's what God's doing and it hurts and I wish that I could give you three steps today but I don't I can only give you a warning when you come across someone in Jeremiah's shoes resist the urge to make him feel better but why not enter into it with him and say this is a great time 
a great time. Because like I said, the further I go with Jesus, the more questions I have and the more intense those questions are, but the less they shake my faith. You know what else I see in Jeremiah here is intimacy. The truth is a lot of people wouldn't feel the freedom to talk to God this way because they just don't have that kind of relationship with him. See, I, I always find it funny when people try to sugarcoat their stuff with God as though you're shielding God and protecting him from your hurt and your deepest wounds. <laughs> He's God, you know. He knows that, right? It's like, oh, I, you, you change your wording and you make it sound like King James in order to, you know, make God hear your prayer better or something. I, it doesn't work that way. We try to protect him. No, I, I see intimacy here. Jeremiah is comfortable enough in his relationship with God that he can actually call the God of the universe a liar. And then in the next breath say, but God's with me like a mighty warrior. That's good stuff, actually. That's real world faith right there, isn't it? That's real world faith. I encourage each one of us to get there. We sing, you know, like that ocean song. I've, uh, uh, you know, we all love it. Except I really wonder if God was to answer your prayer in that song, would you like it? Lead me where my faith is without borders. Do you really mean that? Because that's Jeremiah. That's what you're asking for. You're asking to be placed in the spot that Jeremiah was in. Leave me where my faith is without borders. Do you want that? Really what we mean is, God, here's my comfort zone, and you can lead me anywhere in here you want. And it's going to be great. <laughs> and, uh, and you know what? An awful lot of Christians spend their whole life right there. It's beautiful. And you know what? If you spend your life right here, you don't ever have to worry about Jeremiah's anguish. You only experience what Jeremiah is experiencing and talking about when you start to live boldly and take steps of faith. You're living out on the edge. You're living in the deep end. That's the only time you're going to experience the stuff that Jeremiah is talking about. And since nobody wants that kind of pain, we prefer to stay over here in my comfort zone. And now you think, well, wait a second. But I remember experiencing this hard time and that hard time. Yeah, God is merciful. Every once in a while, he kicks you out of the nest in order to encourage flight in your life. I think that's all I have. How do I know that God is faithful? 
unless I'm put in a position where that faithfulness is tested. How do I know that God is an ever-present help in trouble until I'm put in a position where that concept gets tested? How do I know that my faith is even real until it gets tested? You know what I mean? So, Lord, I want to come to that place where I guess I don't have to feel good in order to love you. Where I can keep it real and know that you're not going to kick me out of the family for it. I'm glad, God, that your shoulders are really broad and you can handle my confusion and hurt and anger. And so, Lord, in a really um, strange way, like Jeremiah, I say, you're with me like a mighty warrior, and I give you my praise. Some of you, I, with our heads bowed, can we just pray in this moment? You know, some of you are like that baby bird, man. You're on the sidewalk. You got, you got the boot. Join me, because that's where I am too. And the temptation here is to listen to the voice of rejection and say, God doesn't care. Let's not do that. Let's instead just get comfortable with the mystery and say, I don't get this and why it is, but I know that God's with me like a mighty warrior. And, and I know that God destined me to fly. Though right now I don't even know what that looks like or how to do it. So friends, let's just embrace this moment, you know, and let Jesus meet us here. I want to open up the altar if you want to come and meet him here. I invite you to do that today. Closes, I guess, but eventually uh, the worship team, they're going to lead us in a song. And But I just want to open up the altar. You come and we'll just uh, pray. And 
I guess I get that word picture, you know. You're that bird on the sidewalk, man. And God the Father is, you know, it feels like he's not all that close, but he is somewhere. I guarantee you he's watching. He is with you like a mighty warrior. He might not be actually, you know, in your face, but like those parent birds, he's with you. <laughs> he's going to make sure the cat doesn't get you. <laughs> So, Lord, here we are. We come before you at this altar this morning. You do what you know best to do. Amen.